these guys survive the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. All right. Welcome into a special edition. Let me go uh, get rid of that dead spot there. We're going to fill that empty spot here in about 30 <laughs> seconds with a special guest. Flagrant Howls, a Timberwolves lifestyle podcast. And Kyle, we've been doing this podcast for over a year and a half, almost two years now. And about halfway into it, or maybe even like it was probably four months ago, we started a fun segment on Thursdays called The Random Wolf of the Week, where if you're unfamiliar, our producer, Ross Brendel, throws out clues that lead up to a random wolf of the week. We shout out guesses. And this here is the first time one of the random wolves of the week is joining us as a guest on the podcast. We are very excited for this. He was a member of the first ever Timberwolves playoff team back in 1996-97. He is a legendary player going back to the 1990s on the Australian national team, Australia's National Basketball League. He is Shane the Hammer Heel, making his flagrant howls debut. Hey, young fellas. What an intro. Gee whiz. What's going on? So I we, so we put out a tweet earlier today, and and we've we've been kind of teasing like, hey, we we've got our first actual random wolf of the week that we're going to bring on the show, and I sent a list out of like the fifteen or twenty that we've done so far, and said, who do you think it is? And even in the YouTube comments when we teased this on the show the other day, I would say about thirty or forty percent were hoping it was you. You've become kind of this like. Wow. You've become kind of a, like a folk cult hero, I guess, going back to your battles with Charles Barkley, uh, which we want to hear all kinds of stories. But yeah, I mean, this is the best Timberwolves team since 20 years ago. And I would say the team that you were on that broke through and made the playoffs for the first time, like we're kind of it's, it's very rare that Timberwolves fans get to celebrate a fun season. And you were part of one of the three or four that people remember. So it's going to be fun to catch up with you. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, well, I had nothing but great memories uh, for my short time in Minnesota. And I wish I had played a bigger role in helping the team get to the playoffs. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, I got to start this because there's a there's an Australian uh, someone that covers the team from Australia, does howls and growls. His name's Jake Painting. And when I told him, I was like, hey, we're getting Shane Heal on the pod. And he tech he messaged me. He goes, that's crazy. I hated him growing up because he played for my rival team, but he's like, he is a legend here. I also spent, I lived in Australia for a year, so I was familiar of kind of your story a little bit. I went to um, University of the Sunshine Coast in Sippy Downs, uh, so I've known of you, but when we started to do a little research for this pod, your story and how you got to Minnesota is like 10 out of 10 awesome and crazy, so my first thing I wanted to throw to you is, I know that that summer, I think of 96, you were playing for the Australian national team. You played the dream team, like the American dream team with all those, you know, Hall of Famers. Uh, and you went crazy hitting eight threes. I watched all the YouTube highlights, including there's a three you hit where Charles Barkley takes a really low contest at you and runs at your knees and you stood up for yourself. So take it anywhere you want to go. But that is awesome. And you definitely represented Australia well, but how was it like playing for the Australian national team? How was it like playing against the dream team? And uh, how, what are your thoughts on Charles Barkley today? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of questions there, but I guess starting, <laughs> starting with the fact that, you know, playing for Australia was always my biggest goal growing up. Um, you know, we hadn't had anybody that had played in the NBA, so it wasn't even a goal for me. It wasn't even a dream for me that I could make it to the NBA. So playing for Australia was the, the the international 
um, way. And, and I, you know, we were actually honoured playing against the 96 Dream Team. I got to watch the Dream Team, the real Dream Team in 1992, but we didn't get a chance to be able to play them. But I watched them closely. So playing against them, I was, I was so fired up. I was having a great season in Australia. I was shooting the ball really well. I came with a whole lot of confidence and I hit my first one, I hit my second one. They obviously hadn't scouted what we did. So I was able to then make a third and then a fourth. And then Charles took me out. And uh, Charles Barkley was my favorite player and he's, he's still my favorite personality. And he's been very, very kind to me uh, since this incident. But when he took me out, I stood up and I gave him some few, a few choice words and uh, and uh, and a lot of swearing with it. And he looked down at me and he said, "What did you say?" And I couldn't re- I couldn't understand whether he didn't understand what I said or he couldn't understand the accent. But I gave it to him again, and uh, he he was going crazy. Gary Payton was going off. Um, I continued on and had a good game, but then took that into the into the uh, Olympics and ended up in the top five scoring and top five for assists and that obviously led to me having opportunities on the world stage so what so so you go through this this you know dream team two and you get put on the the international platform and what were you on nba scouts radars before the games in 1996 or what was kind of the lead up to the timberwolves eventually bringing you on board i i think on the depth charts i was that low it wasn't funny. I still remember my manager. I had a manager that wasn't that much older than me, and uh, he he was sending out cassette tapes, uh, VHS tapes, and I remember him, he, he copied them and then would send them to every team, but, um, you know, wasn't getting a lot of love. But I, I think you have to be able to prove it on the world stage and against the best to really believe that you can actually compete against those guys in the NBA. And, and then when I did it consistently in the Olympics, then um, – it gave me that chance. But I had five offers coming out of the Olympics. The Minnesota was one of them. Uh, all of them were minimum wage deals. The Lakers, Atlanta, I know, were two of them. Um, but Rob Babcock, uh, who I know has passed away, so um, mm-hmm. love to his family, uh, was unbelievably supportive for me. And I ended up coming in and, and went to Summer League. And, and uh, it, was, it was just as Steph had signed. Stefan Marbury had signed. He was the golden child. Um, and I went head-to-head with him for three or four days in a camp. And it was a little bit unfair because he had such a high profile, but he was in his off-season. He'd just come from college. I'd been playing against the best players in the world, and I shot the ball unbelievably well. And uh, it was just after that that I signed a three-year deal with the, uh, with the Wolves. So, okay, yeah, so that was Steph's rookie year. That was also, I think, Kevin Garnett's second, second year, year, right? Yeah. So That's right. Yeah. What was that? I mean, so you had five up. What was just that transition? I mean, when I, I didn't play basketball, like when I went to Australia, my first six months were kind of tough. What was it like coming over to the United States, acclimating in not only a new city with a new team, but also like a new country? How did all of that go? And what were your initial thoughts on Minnesota? I, I loved it. The team was great to me. I had some, some really good friends on the team. Tom Gugliotta, Doug West, Cherokee Parks. Those guys I hung out with all the time. They made me feel really welcome. Um, and the city was fantastic to me as well. Um, I, I was married, and I, oh, I still am, and I had two kids under two years of age at that time. So it was a really big transition for them because of the uh, – we're not used to the Minnesota weather, I can tell you that. So <laughs> when I'd go on road trips, I'd go away for 10 days at a time, but my family did not leave the house for 10 days. So it was a little bit tough for them to make the, the transition. 
it was okay for me because I was out playing, doing what I love doing and, uh, and traveling at the same time. What was, I've told Kyle this story before, but at the end of Kevin Garnett's career, I remember I, I went into the Timberwolves practice. So he came back a second stint like seven years ago when he was 39 years old. And he was, you know, he was playing five or six minutes here and there and maybe 10 minutes. And he was mostly just there to mentor the young guys. And I remember going in one time to the Wolves practice facility to actually interview Lynx coach Cheryl Reeve. So I was kind of passing by going to her office and there was it was an off day for the Wolves. After, it was a back to back. And then this was the third day after a back to back. And there was one guy in the practice facility. It was Kevin Garnett, 39 years old with like three young trainers. And KG is just in a just a pool of sweat, top of the key behind the three-point line, just get these mother-bleeping threes up, get the like just hoisting shots and getting a lather up at 39, just a grinder. What was he like at 20? What was he like his second? Do you have any KG stories from his second year in the league when you were there? Yeah, I, I do. KG was was fantastic. Um, but we had, we, had a, we had a running one time. We, I remember... Um, we had to play one-on-one, um, all the team, and it was six baskets. We played one-on-one, and I scored on him. And if you got scored on, then you had to move to the next basket. And he wasn't happy. I mean, you get scored on a you know, six-foot-one Aussie, you're not happy when you're <laughs> Kevin Garnett. So he sucked it up a bit as he, as he went to the next basket. Anyway, three or four baskets later, we played again. Anyway, I scored on him again, and he got the ball, and he actually just heaved it, and it hit me in the back. And it hit me and then ran off. I chased the ball down and ran right up to him. And I threw the ball as hard as I could right, right at his head. And I remember uh, we had a coach called Mike Shuler. And um, he was an assistant coach. And he had this squeaky voice. And he was like, I told you. I told you. The Aussie's crazy. Yeah. Don't mess with the Aussie. <laughs> and KG... KG was great. He came up to me. Uh, we were in the ice bath, and he came and put his arm around me, and he said, "Sorry about that." And uh, but he, he was fantastic. He was he was passionate. He was energized. He, you know, he 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 just wanted to be able to compete on a nightly basis. And uh, you know, him and Steph, you know, were really interesting because I loved them both. But it was amazing how many times they would get into arguments on the bus and everyone would sit back and you'd listen to them argue. And it was almost like, who's going to carry the team? And um, it was a little bit of jostling, but they were both fantastic and and both had um, unbelievable careers, uh, particularly KG. KG is obviously kind of Minnesota basketball. He is the the face of the franchise still to this day and brought them to the highest heights. But also you got to play for the late, great Flip Saunders who was also kind of on the, you know, face of Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. What was it like playing for Flip? And do you remember any stories about, you know, playing for your first NBA coach? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, same condolences to Flip's family as well. Him and Rob were were really supportive. But, you know, Flip made me do my work. You know, I was frustrated in my season with Minnesota because I felt like, you know, I was ready to be able to contribute. And, um uh, you know, I, I had to smell the roses a little bit because there was a great man called Terry Porter that they brought in as well because they really didn't trust that they had a 19-year-old Stefan Marbury who was pretty loose with the ball and he played a different style of game, probably a more modern game now, um, but they wanted, you know, a little bit more structure. Terry Porter, you know, the veteran and the smarts uh, was playing those backup minutes and I was the third string point guard. So there was a lot of frustration for me in, in that year. Uh, when I thought I was ready to contribute. But 
Flip was great. I learned, you know, so much from him as a guard as well. And the things that I learned, it was a really big learning curve of, of going from playing international basketball to NBA quality basketball as well. And, you know, eventually he gave me my chance and, um, you know, we'll probably get to this, but, you know, at the end of the first season, I, 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 uh, I'd only played, I think, six or seven minutes a game. I was really dejected. I was really frustrated. And he said, go away and you're going to come back. You're going to be the backup point guard next season. And I went away. I worked really hard. I led the uh, Utah Summer League in assists, had a really good tournament, came back. Steph was injured. And I started my first five games of the, um, of the Summer League until I blew my calf out and I was out 16 weeks. So um, it was a really, really frustrating time for me going through that and and to be honest I sort of I don't have too many regrets in my career because I played all around the world in Europe and 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 everywhere else but um it was at that stage that I was so dejected that I asked the Timberwolves for a release and they came back and said no 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 you've got to do your time you got a three-year deal um you know you got 16 weeks on the sideline it's okay you'll be right everyone's really patient in the NBA and um I wasn't I wanted it now. I wanted everything now. Um, and I said, no, nah, I want to go. And it was on the third request that they actually let me go. And it was wow. more because the frustration and having a family that, you know, two kids under two, you know, the lifestyle was very different, got really dejected. And uh, it's one of the things that I regret because I felt like had I stayed and stuck it out and had more patience that it would have been a really good relationship moving forward. And that was too. I mean, the, the league had had really started to blossom around that time, like European players. But just in, internationally, the league, I mean, the dream team sparked this wave of next generation players. But man, I guess I had not I did not remember the calf injury for you and just how much of a derailment that caused. If you had stayed healthy and you had maybe maybe been a little more patient and healthy at the same time. You now, you got back in the league with pop and the Spurs like seven years later, right? But what, what do you think would have happened throughout your late 20s? Because you were in your prime, like you were just entering your basketball prime. Yeah, I feel like my best basketball was from 26 to 32. I ended up retiring, and, but then playing until I was 39. So physically, you could play a long time. But the game was very different back then. Things that I was doing, and you know, you'll remember the game that I had five threes in the fourth quarter against Seattle. That was, that. you know, I think the commentary said there was only 10 threes taken in the first three quarters, and then I shot nine in the last quarter. It was a very different game. It was very much inside, very structured compared to the way it is now. I felt like I was 20 years ahead of my time because yeah. now with the amount of threes that are shot, everybody needs players that can be able to knock it down, and I had range to be able to do it. So I, I feel that, um, you know, the, the three years after that, I went and played – in Greece and probably played my best basketball and had I been playing in the NBA then I think things would be a lot different and I would have had a lot of success and really been able to help Minnesota move forward. So not not a Timberwolves question but yeah you come back for a second stint in the NBA and then you play for a couple people that I think everyone knows Tim Duncan you play with him you play with Manu you play with Tony Parker and you play for Pop who is you know United States probably the best most acclaimed NBA coach outside of like Phil Jackson. So what was it like in your second stint playing with those guys or just being around, you know, what is one of the dynasties of the NBA? Yeah, it was, I was in a really different mindset at that stage. I just won a championship in Sydney and it was Sydney's first ever championship. It was my first ever championship. I was a part owner of the club. And then I said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm done at 33. 
So I retired and I went for a holiday and I was with my young family on the Gold Coast that you will know if you're at the Sunshine Coast, beautiful place. And I got a call from an agent saying, I know you're retired, but the Spurs want you to come into camp. They think there's a spot there for you to be able to make this roster. And I was like, mate, I haven't touched the ball in, you know, four months. What are you, what are you talking about? Anyway, I decided to do it. And, um, you know, that afternoon I went and started practicing and getting fit. I went into camp and, you know, I ended up making the roster, um, and which was a surprise. And it was amazing, you know, seeing Pop and, you know, Manu Ginobili and, and Parker and Tim Duncan, outstanding stuff. And you can just see but from the time you walk in there of why they've been so successful with their culture and the superstars that they've got. Um, and then Pop, uh, I, I can't remember how many games I played. I was there probably three or four months. Anyway, Pop brought me in and he said, we're going to have to release you, but we want you to hang around for about eight to ten days. We're about to make another change and then we want to re-sign you. And it was, it was funny. I was at that stage of my career where, you know, I was with Sean Marks and he'd sort of been on injured reserve and, you know, he was 12th man sometimes. And, and he was that happy. He married an American girl. He was happy just playing a role. For me, I didn't want to be 12th man, even for the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. I, if I was going to play, I wanted to compete. And it was just my nature. And uh, that next day I picked up, you know, a much bigger deal playing in Greece uh, where I'd played for a couple of years. So I went back there and, and turned the Spurs down. Yeah. Yeah. Just going back to the Wolves time too. So you, you guys, you get to the playoffs it's the first time in franchise history and you're playing against the Charles Barkley led Rockets. So a lot of things yes. sort of coming, <laughs> at least for you, you know, full circle in that moment. Um, what was the, what, what was the, what was the team like going into the playoffs for the first time? What was the arena like? What was it like? Did you, did you reconnect with, with Chuck on the court pre or post game anywhere? <laughs> it was, it was funny. We were, um, we were in Houston and I was at the hotel and I'd just gone out to get some lunch and I came back and I just pushed the button to go up the lifts and I hear this guy yell out, Ozzy, Ozzy. <laughs> and, um, I turn around and it's Charles Barkley and I'm like, <laughs> talking to me <laughs> anyway i went over and he hugged me and we sat down and chatted and then, you know he, he's been he was incredible and i think that it was more just because i didn't the respect you know exactly like he would have done if he was a young guy coming into a league that you know he would have stood up for himself and he wouldn't take cheap shots and he'd, he'd give them a mouthful and all the rest of it and um yeah we've been in contact many times since and he gives me the shout out every, every now and again on he on his show him and uh Shaquille O'Neal was down down under a little while ago, and I got a chance to catch up with him. He invited me into one of the shows and uh, ended up spending about 20 minutes on stage with him telling stories. So both those guys have been fantastic. What's, so, so that's kind of your career in a nutshell, and I know that you now back in Australia, and you're good at this because you do your own podcast, and you're probably better at all the talking than we are. But like from where you were you know, in the 90s to now, what is like the biggest takeaway about Australian basketball? And like, I mean, there's so many Australian basketball players since your time that have come over. Like Andrew Bogut comes to mind the most, but there are so many other guys like Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Ben Simmons. Um, what has that kind of pipeline to the United States or to the NBA been like? And what are your thoughts on just how many Australians now are in the league? Well, I mean, I think it's fantastic, not just Australians, but people from all over the world, yeah. players from all over the world. I think it's a world game now. And the NBA has done a great job of really embracing that. And, you know, I go back to my rookie year with the T-Wolves. I felt like 
it was difficult being an international player because there wasn't the, the respect there. If you haven't been to college, you don't know the whole history. I'd already played pro- professionally for nine years at that stage uh, against men. So um, now it, it's fantastic. I mean, you look at the European dominance in the NBA and, um, you know, what Jokic has done and, and Luca's doing and these guys, it's fantastic. And Australia's no different. You know, every kid dreams of playing in the NBA. And I've got my own academy now and I coach um, young kids that are aspiring to go into the NBA. And I'll ask a 15-year-old, you know, what's your dream? And they say they want to play in the NBA. I never had the chance to be able to do that because there wasn't a, a, a real pipeline and, and no history of players doing it apart from Luke Longley. So, you know, seeing so many players there, I feel proud that, you know, maybe I was a, a small part, you know, in breaking down, down those barriers. And, you know, someone like Joe Ingalls that I played with and I coached and I'm friends with to have such a successful career now leading the way for these young guys makes it um, that truly world game. Yeah. yeah do you think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you, you follow – pretty closely on at least a day-by-day basis this year's Timberwolves team is number one in the Western Conference Rudy Gobert is last year was kind of a weird transition year for him he had some knee problems he looks like the old Rudy Gobert Anthony Edwards is 22 years old I mean Carl Anthony Towns is the greatest seven-foot shooter in the history of the league he's shooting 44 percent from three it's kind of weird to talk about the Wolves as actual title contenders but Shane here we are (laughs) well I I feel like no one is really giving them a chance, but I feel like that actually suits their DNA. You know, I love what Anthony Edwards does. He, he's he's incredible. I loved watching him at the World Cup, as even though the Americans were unsuccessful in what they were doing, I loved watching him, and I feel like he's actually grown from that. I think you learn a lot playing international basketball where you don't have the same space. So I think that's contributed to him having a great season as well. And uh, you know, the 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 future is really bright. For this team. I was a bit unsure how Gobert and Towns were really going to go when they, they signed Gobert and I think a lot of people were the same um, but I like the fact they got flexibility I like the fact that you know they can play Towns you know as a five when it gets to the playoffs if, if Gobert is struggling at that time which he has in the past so uh, I think their team's exciting and uh, they're certainly on the right track. At Earlier you talked about playing with Stefan Marbury playing with Kevin Garnett that ended up not working here because of egos or whatever. And you know, Steph was traded out. Uh, the Wolves kind of have another iteration of that with Carl and, and Anthony Edwards. Um, throughout your time, I mean, you played with so many high level players. What's it like to be in that spot where you need to put ego aside to ultimately for the greater good of trying to win a championship? Well, I mean, I, I think with what you see in the NBA, we're seeing so many superstars play together and they have to do it. You see KD, being able to swallow some pride and, and, and going to Golden State to try and win. These young guys have to be able to see what it takes to win. You have to be able to play with other superstars and embrace what they do if you're going to have a chance to win. Otherwise, you're going to be a great player that gets paid a lot of money, but you're never going to be able to win championships. And ultimately, that's what it's about. And I would think that those guys you know, um, are made perfectly. They should fit well together if they do lose some of that ego. And you know, I, I touched on it before, Stefan KG, you know, that was evident from day dot. As soon as Steph got there, you could see that that was always going to be a problem. And they were such big players and personalities that it was tough for other people to be able to step in until ultimately it was going to get broken down. So I hope these guys find a way to be able to work together because uh, 
sometimes you look back and go, oh, I should have really sacrificed something and we would have been able to make it work. I can see, too, how just kind of going back to, you know, your frustrating year with the I mean, frustrating, but also you're in the NBA and you're you know, I don't want to mischaracterize it. I from a competitive standpoint, I get where you're coming from, even more when you think about you were an adult, like you were 26 years old or you, you had been playing professionally for a decade. You're playing the best players in the world. And here comes a 19 year old who's kind of being crowned. All right. He's going to be the sidekick to KG. I can see how that would be an interesting situation where you're probably want, you're wanting to show your best in practice and you're wanting your shot as a guy who's been through those, through those battles. Um, I don't really have a question off that, but I, under, I understand yeah. how you felt, I think, going back, looking back at it from your perspective. Well, not, not so much about Steph. I mean, he was going to be a superstar. He was a superstar. They, yeah. they handed the keys to him and KG. I got that. Um, I guess my frustration was more not getting more opportunities as a backup. And, but I also understand it from Flip's point of view and the, the club's point of view that, you know, you can't trust an Aussie that hasn't been there as well. So you bring in Terry Porter, who's a proven winner. Like he was just unbelievable. But I guess my frustration was, you know, I, I had some good games. I had the five threes in the last quarter. And then it's funny because then once you hit 15 and a quarter and, you know, you're on ESPN and it's like, yep, here we go. I'm calling my mates and I'm like, check out this next game. I'm ready to go this next yeah. game. I'm rolling, right? Because I'd had double <laughs> figures in the game before against Washington on the road. So there's two double figure games in 12 minutes. So I'm like, yep, this is the one. And uh, I think the next game I played 16 seconds, like at the end of the third quarter. And then I didn't <laughs> get on for five games. So yeah. y- it's like five straight DMP. So it- it's, um, that's where the frustration sort of comes. But you know that you've got to work. You know it's all new. You know you're a foreigner. Um, you've got to work extra hard. But I think today it's a little bit different with the way it's run as well. And that's what I think is exciting for fans and, and for players all around the world as well. You mentioned earlier today, fast forward to now, you have like a basketball development, you do you do a podcast. So what are you up to now in Australia? What what do you got going on? Uh, and what do you, you know, anything you want to share with your kind of current life now, now that you're out of the league? Yeah, well, I mean, I commentated, I was, yeah, commentated for 20 years here in our national league and, and the face of the commentary. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. I hung that up a couple of years ago, coach a lot of kids, uh, very close to, my three daughters, my youngest daughter is a pro basketballer. She was drafted and had a bad experience in, in the WNBA, but she's playing in Europe at the moment, still only 22. So um, really about supporting her. I've just come back from visiting her. Um, and uh, that's life, sort of talking basketball. I still love it. I'm passionate about it. And uh, that's why it was so nice to reconnect with you guys because I have such fond memories. And the fans were so good. I still remember, <laughs> you know, the fans would... I'd be sitting on the bench and they'd be yelling out, put heel on. And I, was, I was really wanting to stand up and go, yeah, come on, let's hear a little bit more well, of this. And hey, come dude, on. I'll tell you. So I, I was born in 1985 and I grew up like my first year watching the Timberwolves and I was born in Minnesota was probably the, like the Christian Leitner, like he, and he was gone to the Hawks before you got there. I'm pretty sure. But, uh, but, but like that was the era where NBA video games were becoming more prominent. And there were kids like me who were 10, 11, 12 years old that knew that if you could play as the Timberwolves on like NBA Live, you could sub Shane Heal in and knock down threes and and rack up the offense. You were a, you were a sneaky fun player on those those mid nineties video games, man. <laughs> yeah, I look back, I look at the hairstyles and some of those things, and I'm like, well, 
But my kids are like, Dad, what were you thinking? That hairstyle. <laughs> I'm like, that's how we rolled back then. It was all good. <laughs> Did but, you like um, cross the tips or was that natural Aussie blonde? Oh, no, no, no. There was peroxide going on all over the place <laughs> there. So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, sort of what I was known for uh, in Australia. I, I dyed my hair from a young age and, uh, and kept it for a long, long time. I had serious hang time on that. See, pe- people think the Backstreet Boys and In Sync, you know, you know, made made the the blonde hair popular. It was Shane Heal, folks. Shane Heal did. That's that's right, no doubt about it. I wish I had, uh, I wish I could sing and had any sort of rhythm. I would have joined <laughs> those guys too. Hey, before we before we say goodbye here, we are going to quiz you. You already mentioned a couple of your teammates on that ninety six ninety seven team, but we're going to put you on the spot, full stop, right now. There were twelve other players besides Shane Heal on that 96-97 Timberwolves team that played at least a game. They right. all played at least 10 games, actually. You played 43 games. You've already named yeah. Cherokee Parks, Kevin Garnett, Tom Gugliotta, Stefan Marbury. So we'll start. We'll take those four off the board. Can you name the rest of your teammates? Uh, Doug West. Did Doug you West. say KG? Yep. Did you say KG? Yep. Um, Cherokee Park, Tom Gugliotta, um, James Carr. Chris Carr, James we'll Carr? give it to you. Chris Carr, no, James Hollywood Robinson. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Dude, I'm so telling you, go- I'm telling you, you swap, you you know, swap out Doug West. All due respect on those video games for Hollywood Robinson and Shane Heal. Just You're rack cooking. up the threes, man. You're cooking. <laughs> he could really score Hollywood Robinson. Um, who uh, Stoiko uh, Vrankovic. Yeah. He, and he did say Terry Porter, so let's give him Terry Porter. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did yeah, say sure. Terry Porter. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking, we're looking for, I think you said Sam Mitchell, too, so we're going to give you that I one. I said Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell was my boy. Um, <laughs> he uh, Actually, I, I had a great story. We don't have time for that, but he used to try and shoot against me for money. He ended up having to settle in jewelry. That's how Sam Mitchell learned that I could shoot. <laughs> so it was uh, Sam, was Sam, stick to the mid-range, people. Sam. Stick to the mid-range, guy. <laughs> Well, that's what I said to him. I'm like, mate, you're kidding. He goes, I took money off Reggie Miller. I said, well, you're not taking it off me, mate, because you're not shooting against me. <laughs> um, I reckon I'm so. There's two. There's that. there's two left. So I'll get, you've got Kevin Garnett, Tom Gugliotta, Stefan Marbury, Doug West, Sam Mitchell, Dean Garrett, Terry Porter, James Hollywood Robinson, Chris Carr, Stoiko Vrankovic. Actually, there's one left. Cherokee Parks. There's one yeah, guy. I'm, one guy left who played ten games. I'm, I missed Dean Garrett. Oh, no. I'm not going to get it. It's pretty good, though. I mean, you just, this is like that 27 years ago, man. Yeah, that was impressive. Reggie Jordan. Oh, Reggie Jordan. I think he was like a, a defensive. Was he a left-handed defensive player? Came in. He to, was a left-handed a shooter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of a wing, kind a of a wing point, kind of a combo guard. Yeah, I remember him now. I, I would never have guessed it, but uh, glad we got it. It was Shane, awesome, this man. is uh, the 35th year of the Timberwolves are doing a lot of celebration and marketing and stuff, but um, you being a part of the first playoff year and now this team having a chance to win their first playoff series in 20 years since Kevin Garnett was here, uh, if this thing is as magical of an ending as it's been as magical of a season, Phil and I will make sure we fly you back for the parade in June. So whatever, I know, I know the weather in June in Australia is a little different than out here in the States, but uh, clear your schedule for like June 20th in case we have a parade. I'm there. You lock it in. I, I'm recording this too. I, oh, I absolutely. My, my word. I, will, I know those flights through LA back up here. I will get you here one way or another for that parade. All right. Let's do it. I appreciate it.
And, awesome, uh, man. Great to talk to you guys and reminisce about some really fond memories in my life. So thank you. Thank yeah, you, Shane. Thanks for taking the time. And where, so people, you're on Twitter. Where can people find your podcast and where can people keep in touch with you? We're called The Basketball Show and uh, you can find us on all socials and YouTube as well. So look out for it. And Shane Hill one. So Sounds good. Well, good. There he good is. Good on you, boys. Thank Shane you. Hill. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. Good on all you. All right, for Kyle, I'm Phil. This is a Timberwolves Lifestyle Podcast.